It's a little-known fact that Cheerscast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Hey, I remember you. You're that blonde waitress. And you're Carla's incredibly loathsome ex-husband. How do you like that? We both stuck in each other's minds. Sit down. You want anything? Thank you. I'll have a Coke. Be sophisticated. We're in a bar. Coca-Cola. No, no. Order some kind of drink. I'd like something in a coconut. You're something in a coconut. Welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and pulling up a stool at the virtual bar once again is my friend from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Rob Kelly. What's up, Rob? Howdy, Ryan. Happy to be back on Cheerscast. Thank you very much for coming back. And uh, yeah, you've been here before many times since the beginning, so we're just going to dive right into this episode because we see the return of... Not not just one, but two, a pair of beloved fan-favorite characters in this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, not bearing the lead. We are talking about Season 3, Episode 9, An American Family, written by Heidi Perlman, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, November 29th, 1984. Carla's ex-husband, Nick Tortelli, and his current wife, Loretta, come to cheers demanding one of Carla's children... Loretta, Nick claims, is unable to have kids, so Nick figures why not just take one of the kids he had with Carla. This repulsive request is met by Carla and the rest of the Cheers gang with as much disgust and disbelief as you would expect, but Nick takes Carla into the back office to confer with her in private, and moments later, a defeated Carla comes out of the office, having agreed to give her oldest son Anthony to Nick and Loretta. Meanwhile, Sam has plans to take a girl to the Pequod Inn, a rustic B&B that was the site of many special memories when he was dating Diane. He says if Diane is upset that he's going back, he will change his plans, but she assures him she doesn't care. When he comes back after the long weekend, Diane tricks him into revealing that he canceled his reservations because he was the one who felt sentimental about the place. On the day that Carla is supposed to sign papers giving Nick and Loretta custody of Anthony, she pretends to be happy with and confident in her decision, but it doesn't take much to see how it's breaking her heart. The gang asks why she agreed to Nick's demand, and Carla tells them that Nick has an almost superhuman power when it comes to getting women to do what he wants. When Nick and Loretta return, Carla, with the support of her friends, refuses. Once again, Nick takes her into Sam's office, using his powers, which include a sexy look, I guess, singing, <laughs> and forcefully kissing her. But this time, the spell cast has no effect on Carla. As Nick and Loretta get ready to leave without the child, Diane stops him at the door to tell him how loathsome he is. Nick says she might reconsider if he could only let her in on a little secret. He gets close enough to Diane to breathe hotly on her neck, arousing her until she faints. So, Rob, what did you think of this episode? 
<laughs> well, when you said it's the return of a beloved character, you're obviously talking about Tom the Lawyer, right? Tom the That's Lawyer, absolutely. Yeah, every, everybody's favorite, Tom the Lawyer. The one guy at the bar who was below in the pecking order to Cliff Clavin, which is just which and, is ridiculous, by the way. I don't know how that worked out. but At this point, he is still yet to pass the bar exam. <laughs> Uh, no, this is I. You know, funny rewatching this one. It occurred to me that it's not that funny an episode, but it's on, on purpose. Like it's really more of a character piece. I mean, it, look, it's funny because it's got Dan Hedaya as Nick, one of the great comic performances uh, of all time on Cheers. I mean, just whoever, whoever idea was to cast him uh, in this role, uh, brilliant. And then the, just the way that Dan Hedaya approached it, like he is practically an unfrozen caveman lawyer, you know. <laughs> Um, and then Gene, again, casting Gene Smart as his ditzy wife, although she kind of played Kasem. the same part. Gene Kasem, excuse me, Gene Smart. Gene Kasem always sort of played the same ditzy. She was that in Ghostbusters as well. Um, but so, I mean, aside from those scenes, like the show isn't all that funny, but I think it's done that way on purpose. And I, I, it makes me think that you probably couldn't do a show like this in a modern setting. You couldn't do a show that was really more of a character piece and isn't a laugh riot from stem to stern and there are there is a lot of funny stuff but it really is more about carla and her her inability to 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 stave off this horrible man for her and and it's it's sort of tragic in a row and then that the um the act break that you mentioned where she comes out and she's given up her her oldest Antony, and you know she's like what you've never seen jellyfish before and that's not a laugh line that's a sad line it's yeah. like everybody's like oh my god so i i was taken by how serious it is. And I have to wonder if by calling it um, an American family, they were nodding towards that because that's of course a reference to the PBS miniseries of the seventies, where they followed a camera crew, followed around a real life American family, the loud family and just documented it. And it really was like the first ever reality television. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to think that because other than that, there's not really much of a connection to that title. So I, I was impressed with this episode that they decided to, kind of go for something a little quieter this time yeah and having it be written by heidi perlman who who tended to like i mean she wrote a lot of carla centric episodes which you'd figure i mean she's writing for her sister sure uh which which is nice i mean because it gives carla some some spotlight because it's easy for her to kind of fall into the background and just throw out the sort of acidic one-liners and jabs um so we do get some more depth to her and I wonder if this was, I mean, maybe this was an idea that Rhea Perlman put forth or something like that, or, or if they just, they wanted to bring Dana Day back. I think it, it, it kind of functions in fleshing out who Carla is and, and her relationship, but it's also maybe kind of explaining some of it or, or giving some justification to the fact that this ex-husband that she has never had anything good to say about that she has just described in these sort of animal-like terms throughout the course of the relationship. <laughs> but somehow she was with that guy for a long time, and she's had five kids with him <laughs> spanning like a decade. Like, right, yeah, yeah. Because, I, I mean, like, I think I think they say that her, her youngest son, when the season, when the series began in season one, her youngest son, Gino, was seven. And then she gets pregnant by Nick again in season two, or or at the end of season one, or something. So there's, I mean, you know, a dozen years between Nick's oldest and youngest with Carla. That's a long time. And I think uh, when Nick first comes in, and after he has a little bit with Loretta, which we'll come back to, when he comes up to the bar, Nick or, or Sam is kind of very casually friendly, like he's like, "Hey, Nick, how's it going?" and everything. And you think, 
when Sam first got the bar, when he first met Carla, I'm sure she was still married to him. And Sam probably saw Nick all the time. They have this past relationship, too, and everything like that. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, they're friendlier towards Nick than you than you think they would be because he's such a scumbag, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and you always know that when he shows up, he's there for trouble. And again, I never, I love the way Dan Hedaya carries himself. That his head <laughs> is always hunched down, and he's always kind of looking up like it's, and he's got like the one unibrow thing going on. I mean, it's just, it really, is, it's such a demented comic performance, and it, it, it. It only underscores the crazy idea that they thought that Tortellis could work as a solo series. And I got to tell you, I was convinced that when you gave me this episode that the Tortellis was around this time that I thought, oh, okay, the Cheers was a hit by season three. Mm-hmm. And that was probably when they get and, and Nick was in a lot of the season two, season three episodes. And I thought, oh, okay, this this is the natural point where they spun him off. No, the Tortellis didn't start until 1987, a full three years after this. Do they really think after three more seasons of these appearances, you know what America craves more of the Tortellis? Like, I, it just seems like what a crazy idea for a spinoff. And the funny thing is, I don't know if he had an appearance like that would like, like launch right from Cheers around that time. I know he's got, I think, I think Dan Hodeo is only in six episodes. One isn't until the very last season, and the rest are pretty early. I think he's got two this season, maybe one in season three, and maybe, maybe there was one like in like '86 or something, and that was like that might have sort of like kicked off this interest in the Tortelli series. But I can't, I can't figure. I can't imagine. And especially, I read on on IMDb, and who knows if this stuff is true or not, because those, those trivia things are written by meth addicts. But there was apparently that the, they pitched the network. The network said to the Cheers producers, "Give us." Give us two ideas. And they pitched two. One was the Tortellis, and the other was a prequel series featuring Coach as a young baseball player. And I was like, give me that show. <laughs> That's the show I want. Why did you bother with the Tortellis? But okay, you know, and obviously the Tortellis didn't go anywhere because I think it was like 13 and out or something like that. So that, that was it for them. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> Uh, okay, so getting into the teaser, oh, we, we start off with Norman Cliff making this bet about Sam's batting average when he was a player. Um, and, and the scene, it starts actually with Cliff asking Norm if he's gotten Vera pregnant yet. And I think this is like the first time that has, that sort of subplot, if you can even call it that, I think it's the first time it's been referenced since the beginning of the season. That was like something that like right at the beginning with Rebound Part 1, there was like, oh, this is going to be something going on this season. And they, I don't think they ever referenced it again. <laughs> it's so. extraordinarily rude just to bring it up out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And and Norm's like, yeah, get off my back. Or he's like, I'm trying to get Vera off my back. And he's like, your back, I think there's something wrong with your technique, my friend. <laughs> So, um, and then, yeah, so Sam says he thinks, and he's kind of, you know, you, you can sort of tell that Sam is, like, reaching for this and making out. He's like, I think I hit 211 one year. And Coach, like, without look, even looking up, he's just doing his own thing. He kind of says, in your dreams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, I, I found his, I found this, like, this very weird kind of rare instance with Coach. He's not necessarily throwing shade or trying to bring him down, like in, in like maliciously, not at all. But it just seemed like Coach was more aware or kind of like in the moment than he usually is. Like, 
Like, it's a little sharper than you normally see, Coach. Because yeah, he's looking at a he's looking at something on the counter, like in the paper, and he never looks up from it. In fact, he never even pulls his hand away from his cheek, and he just says, "In your dreams." Yeah, I mean, he's really and and it's kind of a weird runner because I mean, of course, Sam was a relief pitcher. Yeah, yeah. And, and pitchers weren't really supposed to be good batters, so it's like. Two, if, if Sam had pit, batted two eleven as a pitcher, he would have been pretty good as a batter. And I think Sam was in since he was in the Red Sox. That was the American League, which means they had the DL mm-hmm. or the the DH, and so he probably wouldn't have even batted much anyway. So <laughs> this kind of runner doesn't make a whole ton of sense, but it's just fun because you know you're like okay, Sam's memory obviously very hazy, not anywhere close to reality thanks to his. Uh, alcoholic haze that he was <laughs> right or, or just bluffing and trying to like make it make himself sound better but uh right they they're they're quick to cut that out and uh so norman cliff make a bet that he never hit above 150 which again for a relief pitcher not insignificant not so, no <laughs> um, and and so diane mocks their you know they're betting on what she this is meaningless stuff and they're like wait 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 we we talk about serious you know really worldly important stuff too and then they, this comes to the idea that they have a bet where if Southeast Asia is destroyed by a nuclear war, then Norm will have to push a peanut up boils to the street. <laughs> Which we've been to. I'm so excited. Yes, we've we, been there. You and I, we walked on Boylston Street together. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so connected to this show now in a way I never did before. Yeah, yeah you get there, Evan. You, so when when Norm says only as far as the only as far as the corner, then you kind of know what they're talking. Well, kind of far though. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> For it's not nothing. Culture. I noticed that in this, with this opener, even by season three, they still really hadn't quite, I think, nailed uh, Cliff as to what he would be. Because Cliff talks about sex in a very casual way here that he would not in later seasons because they would obviously get to the point that he was completely inept right, when right. it came to. But the way he's so casually like, hey, did you get Vera pregnant? And you can talk about your technique there, Pat. Like, I, I can't picture the cliff of even like season four mm-hmm. talking like that, being that casual about sex because he's so inexperienced. Right. And we've even even earlier in this season, we had, you know, we've, we've seen how timid and how he claims right, the Ponce de Leon yeah, episode. The Ponce de Leon. Right. Yeah. 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 So we've seen that. Yeah. So. Uh, something else, uh, so the, the, the Sam and Diane subplot of this revolves around this reference to the Pequod, um, this, <laughs> what a reference, <laughs> I know. but this actually is a callback to the Pequod. This was one of my trivia notes. Uh, it's a little known fact. The Pequod was last referenced in the season two episode battle of the X's, which was the first appearance of Nick Tortelli and Loretta in that episode. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was one where Diane was trying to make them a, a reservation at the Pequod and the, it will show up again in season four or five as an actual location. Um, so yeah, they, they get some mileage out of that little reference. Oh, that's, they go, that's the Pequod that they go to in that one? Sam, they go on Sam separate goes, dates? Sam goes with a different woman and, and Diane keeps like trying to get him away. To yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yep. What a great, what a great name that it, it that is, <laughs> has such a wonderfully New Englandy sounding oh, yeah, name yeah. to name your, your, your hotel mm-hmm. or your, mo- well, I guess it's a hotel, not a motel, but name, name your inn after something out of Moby Dick. Like that's, yeah, right. that's just wonderful. Which, I think she even says it's on an island off the coast of Maine and you can only get there by boat or ferry or something like that. Oh, that sounds awesome. That's <laughs> That just sounds like a great, that yeah. sounds like a great place. <laughs> um, and you know, so she's Diana saying that she doesn't care about it. She's like, take a different woman there every night for all I care. And he's like, actually, it's easier to have them meet me there. 
Um, and then they do this whole little thing where he, and she's like, you know, I don't care, but it's room 12, if that matters or something like just trying to remember. He's like, Hey, that was a, that was a special room. And they kind of fall into their old flirtatious thing where they keep one upping each other with memories of this time when a nor'easter blew through and they're Mm -hmm. same as describing the weather. And she's talking about curling up under the blanket together with a fireplace. And she says something, she goes, I never felt safer. And from behind them, you just hear Coach go, me neither. <laughs> it's like, you weren't there, Coach. Oh, I thought you meant now. <laughs> and then, wonderfully, from there we get uh, like a nor'easter itself blowing through the, the room into the, into the bar. We get the return of Nick and Loretta. And Nick's opening line when they walk in, I, this is one of my favorite of his lines. It's just so perfect. When he sees Diane, he goes, I remember you. You're that blonde waitress. <laughs> no, I love his incredibly just, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> she's standing right there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like Nick, she's, she is blonde. You can see that. She's a waitress. You can see that. So did you remember her? Like, that, that's yeah. the only impression she left. <laughs> He thinks he's he thinks he's being smooth. Like that's what I love about. It. Like he thinks that's a great line, and it's like d- d- it's, it's just like it's like Dada esque. Like it's yeah. so self effacing. Like yeah. yeah, I know. I'm standing right here. What are you talking about? Yeah. And we talk about the brilliance of Dan Hedaya and how like he embodies this character, the physicality, everything he does is like just funny and hilarious. I think the one really unfortunate thing of how good he is, is he overshadows Gene Kasem, because she's terrific also. She's really, really good. And I think probably, like Coach, she's a character, the way she's written, where every line she says is a joke, and it's funny. I I don't know if she has, like, a straight, normal conversational line. Everything is a comedic beat, she says. And it's good, but it's just she still gets drowned out by, by Nick. Yeah, all her line reads are as if she just thought about it in that moment. Like it's <laughs> yeah. all just occurred to her in that exact second, and it's and, and in a weird way, it's almost very similar to "You're that blonde waitress," but it's <laughs> yeah. a different way. It's just yes. like these sort of just very straight ahead s- statements. And you're like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, and you can't fathom what she sees in him. But of course, now we <laughs> learn that like he has this hypnotic power over women because again. This episode will feature one of the great buttons of, of the entire series, but we'll <laughs> yeah. get to that. Yeah, because she's she's like, I'll have a Coke. And he's like, we're, he's like, order something sophisticated. He goes, Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, hey, only she order only, a fancy drink. She's like, something in a coconut. <laughs> she only had one real thing she could do, but she did it well. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I mean, again, you remember from Ghostbusters too. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like she they really couldn't. She didn't have a lot of range, but if you needed her to. You needed that thing. That's who you got was her. Part of it because she was ridiculous. She was like six foot tall. She's huge. Right. And, and in in Ghostbusters, she's partnered with Rick Moranis. Rick so Moranis, right? Is, yeah. So very is, her up with. Like, what is her type? Like, what is her type? <laughs> Lewis, like, I'm going home. Yeah, she's always. A, and he gets her to dance. And, and like, Casey Kasem in real life was a short guy. Yes, so yeah. she, so she, she really, you know, that that was her thing, man. It was, and part of it is too Dan Hedaya, the way he carries himself, he's hunched over. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's part of it is that he's probably shorter than he really is because he's just constantly. By the yeah, way, has Dan like, Hedaya? ever been bad in anything can you think of anything you've seen him in where you're like 
eh, he wasn't that funny. He's funny in every single thing I've ever seen him in, whether it's like Commando or like Dick. <laughs> Whatever he's in, he's funny. Or he's scary. Great. You're just kind of like weird. Or scary, yeah, right. Or he's always like great. in the Coen Brothers movies or, or – um, Yeah, Blood Simple, right. Yeah, yeah or uh, what was it? Uh, Blue Velvet, I think he has a small part in that. Is he? He's great. I, uh, I forget if he's in Blue Velvet. I mean, he's just – He's just fantastic. He's just like a ringer. You know what I mean? Like a minute, he's just like, oh, I love this guy. I don't want to see him just put through his paces. <laughs> yeah, but I I, th- I can't remember if uh, if me or uh, Mike Gillis said it on the last time. Like, It looks like his head is coming out of his like chest like he doesn't have a neck. Like he's yeah. a Jack Kirby character come yeah, to life. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, his shirt's always open, like way too many buttons. So you see his big... Super hairy chest. It's just, it's just fantastic. Again, I, I would love to know the, 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 the chemistry of the writing and the directing and the acting of whether did you get hand, do you get Dan Hedaya and you know when they first got him and what did he bring to it? Did they say, hey, look, Dan, we want you to play this like this guy is practically. Uh, one you know one stage of evolution lower than all everybody else, or did Dan Hedaya bring it to that or whatever? And then the fact that the show continued on because eventually we do meet—I uh, don't think we've met him at this point, Anthony, mm-hmm. the son. But when we meet Anthony, Anthony talks like a young Nick, which he is does. brilliant. I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> he, does. he does. It's so good. Um, I'm trying to—I think we meet all of the kids throughout the life of the show. Yeah, we do. I mean, we, we, what's her name from uh, the woman that ends up on uh, oh, she, King of yeah, Queens? She plays Serafina, yeah. Um, Serafina, Leah, yeah, yeah. Leah Remini plays Serafina. Yeah, Leah Remini, yep, yep, yep. She's yep, in yep. the last season, yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. And the, yeah, Gino, we get, we see him a little bit later, and then there's kids. So, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so they, they come in, and Nick makes this demand. Um, there is a point, Nick, when, when Carla first sees him, and Nick is approaching her in front of the bar, it's a real wide shot. And you can see where the stage ends. Like, past him, you can see a curtain, like, past, like, the last table, and, like, a crew member's, like, a cameraman's foot or something. Oh, like, really? in one corner. Like, <laughs> you can see, like, they kind of took, like, Jim Burr's, like, had the camera, it was, like, too wide or something. You can see, like, more of the set, that, or beyond where the set ends. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's great. I love when, I love when you see stuff like that. Because yeah. it's like, like, you can only do so much, you know? I mean, because it's an amazing... Looking, oh yeah, I just looked at it. Yeah, you can see. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great. Okay. Um, and then yeah, so he thre- he he wants the kid. He's threatening to take it away, and then he actually brings up that he's he's willing to take her to court over it, and that's where that's where we get Tom coming back and everything. And Cliff tries to put him down, like he has nothing. And, and Carla actually comes to his defense, like if he knows anything about the law, he knows more than you. So again, I would love to know how. This got established that he takes grief from Cliff. I just don't, I, it's, you know, what, what, well, I, mean, I guess it was, it was, I guess, I think he goes back to the first season. I think by, in the first season, like Cliff wasn't at the low rung of the totem pole. There was like a few other tertiary guys who would, who would mock him and everything. But ter- Cliff was a lot more assertive and a lot more even combative and feisty in some of the first season episodes. So I think this is just kind of a carryover of that where this guy is a little <laughs> bit, just kind of yeah just not all there not really all and it will culminate he has he's got a wonderful part in season five where tom actually gets to do some lawyering. yes tom tom's great moment of cheers (laughs) defending sam from from chasing diana around (laughs) yes well so the whole fight with with the the whole court battle it leads actually to my favorites my favorite bit of the episode so i'll save that um but yeah, once he he tells he he brings uh, Carla into the back office and she comes back and she has like the haven't you ever seen a jellyfish? I'm like, 
what, like, what, how did this happen? And later on, she'll have to explain that, you know, he has this, this power, this command. He can always get, she's like, I never wanted to go out with him. I never wanted to marry him. <laughs> she, but she, she's like, he, he has this thing. So you're like, how is it this guy? And then Loretta backs it up. She, she is the same thing. She's like, Nick can make any woman do whatever he wants. And you're like, okay, well, Loretta doesn't have the highest IQ, so maybe this is just, you know, her, her interpretation of it. But Well, he goes, he definitely goes after women with low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. Like, Car- Carla, for all of her bluster, has low self-esteem. She always, she, she knows she has bad taste in men, clearly. Mm-hmm. And she, I mean, she sort of convinced herself that she can't resist Nick. So, so therefore, she can't resist Nick. So, yeah, Nick knows how, Nick knows how to find women that will respond to his odious charm Mm -hmm. now we see that he even has some some somewhat magical powers (laughs) (laughs) but 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 we also know that he wouldn't get much further with diane past that moment but you know he he can kind of like if he skews the metaphor like get in the door Mm -hmm. and to almost any woman and then some women will just be like wait a minute get the hell out of here but for somebody like carla who just doesn't have a great a lot of self-esteem she keeps falling for this nonsense and i one of the runners i love of this episode is that uh, you know, Carla and and Nick keep having these fights outside, and Sam's like, "Will you guys please take it in the back?" I mean, he's just like, "I'm trying to run a business here. Can we stop having this personal conversation?" Because of course, you know, it's in sitcoms, all the action has to happen in the main set, right? And if, and if it's in a house, that's normal. But if it's in a business, you're like, "Why are we having this personal discussion in the middle of this restaurant?" But I love that Sam is like, "I'm trying to run a business. If you guys could." Please take this in the back. I just I like that he's trying to just keep the keep the uh, keep the money flowing. <laughs> I just I think in the first season one of the first I think one of the first times we actually hear Nick described before we see him, Carla mentions that he has a fishnet shirt and a panther tattoo, <laughs> and I'm like seeing like this like like a cross between like somebody from like guys and dolls, like the street gang, like I like, like, like with an auto mechanic. And then to actually see Dan Hedaya embody this thing just turns it was such a weird, weird thing. But, um, and, and when, when Carla or when Carla tries to stand up to it and Loretta seems to like snap out of it and come to her defense, like, like the spell is almost broken. Loretta has a perfect line. I just realized Carla and I are both women. Yeah, I can't take another woman's child, and then like they, like Nick takes her into the back office, and within seconds, it's like you, the door doesn't even close before she's yep, back yep, out there. Yep. And that's <laughs> a joke. And then when Nick takes her in, in, Carla in the second time, we actually see the moves that he puts on her, and he does. He's like, I won't say anything. I'll just do this. And he does like this, like hip check, like cock to the side, everything like to give her the look. And it's like his whole body turns and becomes like very like dagger like and stiff. Oh, it's just it's so again, it's a brilliant comedic performance. I don't think Dan Hedaya got nominated for an Emmy or anything for any of these episodes, but I mean, man, he should have because he just comes in and crushes. Mm. You know, I mean, the minute you the minute he walks in, you're just like, oh, this is going to be great because he's just good. He it's, again, the Cheers is um, side character. They're peripheral characters like the Harry the Hat or whatever. Mm. I mean, just I loved all those guys. You know, I mean, just think they were just so interesting and even like they of course that's how fraser started and look what happened with that like right. they realized so they the writers were just really good at expanding this universe and and 
developing these things where you're like, I, I always want to see these characters. Like Nick, to me, Nick Tortelli never wore out his welcome, even though he was a kind of a one joke character. Right, but the right. performance was so good, I just laugh every time. Yeah, I mean, Lilith was a one off character. Right, right. Lil- brought- I forgot Lilith too. Yeah, yeah she starts off as a one off. Should they bring her back the next year because they liked her so much? Right. Yeah. So. And then, like, the furthering, when Nick starts to sing, call me irresponsible. And then when he moves to kiss her, he, like, grabs her face. <laughs> like, he's, like, a, like an alien going to, like, just, like, completely suck her face down. And and she's like, do that again. He's like, oh, you can't get enough of me. And she's like, no, no. She's like, I didn't feel anything. And then, of course, she calls. She's like, you know, you – she's like – and she kind of – she's even defending him. She's like, you know what you've got. You could have got it. She's like, you you tanked this on purpose because you didn't want to take my kids. So that ending, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if she actually learned or she defeated him or what. But by then, it was it was fine. So he, he gets that last moment with Diane when she gets to say her piece. And he gets right up close to her and starts to breathe on her until she – and it like it cuts just as she's fading. We don't even see her hit the ground. But it's just like this <laughs> it, 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 as she's in motion dropping. Like it cuts to black and it's so good. That's a great that's a great button on the scene. I don't think this this episode will win any awards from like Ms. Magazine or whatever, <laughs> but but it's a it's a funny gag that somehow he's able to whisper something that even Diane would fall for. That which is absurd. But I mean, it's it's a great it's a great way to end the episode to get you out of there. So it's a good well done, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Norm had three beers in this episode. Tried to steal a fourth one and got caught. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Norm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll come back to that one. So uh, that takes him up to two hundred and forty eight for the series. Yeah. Um, one of the things I noticed is that he very rarely sits in his normal seat in this episode. He's all over the place. He's like in the back. He's in the side. He's on the front. Like for some reason, he's very mobile in this episode. I noticed that too. And I was trying. I mean, I was thinking in the in the beginning, like Carla and Nick had their scenes over on his side of the bar. So I don't know if they were just if it was just like the staging. They kind of need Burroughs needed him to get out of the way so we could focus on the other actors. But I don't know because he, he's still sitting there when he makes the joke about you know maybe they should just take out an ad in the paper and adopt. He's like you don't know what the kid will look like, but I can't imagine you would be picky. <laughs> um, for the employee of the week, uh, who did you have? <laughs> I can't believe I'm asking. But. I, well, I mean, again, it's it's really I guess it's got to be Carla because it's her episode. Um, but I did I don't know I sort of enjoyed. I sort of enjoyed coach's uh, coach's involvement in the bit with Sam and the, the, his batting average. I just sort of liked that he got involved in it because it's just a different side of coach that we see. Like when the, when the, when the joke gets revealed where they all like realize they've all wound up each other mm-hmm. and coach finds that so funny. I just thought that was a fun <laughs> side to coach that we never saw before. Where it's kind of like, it's almost mean coach, yeah. which is, I mean, it isn't really cause it's coach and it can't be that mean, but just the fact that they're all laughing at each other. And even Diane is like, I can't believe the three of you are doing this to each other. And they're just <laughs> like, I just find it the funniest thing, by the way, it's fu- it's it's a fun idea because of course that's a joke that only works for this for when Cheers airs because nowadays you couldn't do that joke. Oh, it, we, there would be no argument about batting average because everybody would get their damn phones exactly. out, just look it up. Yeah, you, wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't have to go dig up some giant old book <laughs> out of a, out a old bookstore almanac. to look it up. Yeah, you wouldn't need an almanac to go find. You would need to pay thirty dollars <laughs> buy a yeah. thirty dollar book to win a twenty dollar bet. As they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. 
I wanted to give special shouts out to Loretta uh, and also to Nick. Like, I think I think you're right. Nick basically has one joke that he delivers throughout the whole episode, um, and it's really really good. And he grabs your attention. But I think this is a Carla episode, and I think she deserves it because she goes from her normal kind of biting hostility to very vulnerable and kind of fearful and and emotional. Um, too victorious at the end. So I, I definitely think Rhea Perlman shows the range in this episode, and, and she's able to stand up and win one over on her, her husband on her terms. So Carla deserves this one. Yeah. yeah, I do have to give props, though, for Nick's cream-colored jacket that he wears <laughs> when he comes back the second time. It's just such a great, hideous... It looks like it's made of butter, and it's like, why would anybody wear that? It's great. I just, It's perfect. That it's something he thinks that's like his classy look. Nick does get my home run for the episode, though. Um, and it's when when Carla is ca- basically calling his bluff and saying, you're not going to take me to court. Court costs money, and you're not doing that good. And he kind of has like, he's like, every time you open your mouth, you show your ignorance. And he starts going off this whole thing. He's like, I'll have you know, the Tortelli TV hospital has just come <laughs> off a record-breaking quarter. And he says, I got 10 men working under me, and two of them is American. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Nick. Great. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. The way he delivers it, the grammatically incorrect version, but it's still the uh, the perfect one. So He's so proud of himself. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What was your favorite? Uh, my favorite line actually is from Cliff, which is rare because Cliff is by far far my least favorite character on the show but the line about where he he insults tom where he says he thinks affidavit is a jewish, <laughs> jewish wine is just adds <laughs> such a great line and i again i like that um i i like jokes that you kind of have to put together yourself a little bit because affidavit is not the most common word in the world for people to know and you have to know what it is and i like that and i mean like like the pequod is a nice reference now it doesn't really matter whether you know whether what the pequod is not it's, it's not like they make a moby Dick reference but i like that you have to know it but just the fact that you have to know what an affidavit is for that joke to work i i just think that's great and so i i got it for once i got to give it to cliff because that is a good line that's good um my runner-up as i mentioned was the moment when uh, Carla and Nick go into the back office for the second time and Diane kind of announces to everybody, Carla needs all of our, basically, hopes and prayers. Um, or, and, and like, everybody kind of give her your, you know, all of your mental energy. And they all kind of, like, sit there in silence, close their eyes, and everybody just kind of sitting. And Norm is in the back and just kind of, like, looking around, noticing, nobody's paying attention. And he reaches forward to fill up his glass. And without opening his eyes, without knowing... Sam calls him out, but he doesn't just say Norm. He goes, Norman. He says the full name, the two syllables, mm-hmm. which is something mm-hmm. that you only ever hear Diane say in like this context. And he calls mm-hmm. him out, and Norm sort of sheepishly sits back down. I love that <laughs> beat. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So, Rob, thank you very much for uh, talking to me about this episode. Uh, do you want to plug your stuff individually, or should we just say listeners can find you on other shows on the fire and water podcast network yeah let, let's just do that we don't need to go on and on and on about it. yeah Nashcast, <laughs> film and water everything else you can find you can find rob plenty of places here so uh yeah thank you very much rob one more time thank you to all of you out there who listen to cheers cast and support the show by liking and sharing on facebook favoriting and retweeting on twitter and leaving a comment on the website which is at fire and water 
You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians, Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, and Ashford Wright from the Right On Network, who sponsored this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks to everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. Nick, even if I wanted to give you those kids, they wouldn't want to go with you. The young ones don't know who you are. The old ones hate your guts. I don't believe what I'm hearing. Anthony loves me. No, he doesn't. He's the oldest. He's the one who best remembers you walking out on him. Thinks you're a creep. He thinks I'm cool. He calls you a scuzzball. He didn't learn language like that from me. He didn't learn anything from you. Hey, hey, come on. We're getting complaints from the nuclear testing range next door. (laughs) 